5 through 9 says, Now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia. Paul is this letter to the Corinthian church. He's dealt with a lot of problems. He's talked about that. The last message we had in here, he's talking about the giving, the weekly giving. As you come together, prepare something. Don't let this be reactionary or emotional. You should prepare to give when you come together as a church. And, and you give that then through the church. We talked about that. And now as to, Paul's talking to them about his plans. This is, these are his plans. These are his God-given desires. He says, I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia. He says, for I am passing through Macedonia. That doesn't sound like a question mark to me. That sounds like Paul has a, a clear plan of what he wants to do, what he intends to do. He says, and it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way. And so what Paul was saying was, look, when I come the first time, when I come through Macedonia and I come that way, when, when I pass by, I'm probably not going to stop and see you because I don't want to just stop in and see you for a little bit. I want to spend some time. And he continues verse 7, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. Interesting Paul's comments there. He has plans but he's submitted to what God wants in this. Verse 8, but I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. Now, he shared with them what he wants to do. Now he's telling them as he's writing this letter that I will tarry here in, in Ephesus until Pentecost. Now, I don't really know when he, we don't know when he wrote it, so I don't know when, when exactly that would be, but he's anticipating staying until Pentecost, which would have been about what we figured up about 50 days uh, after the Passover. So, so we've got an idea of that, but we don't know in relation to when the Passover was or any of that. We just know Paul's got an idea. I'm going to be here. I'm staying here at Ephesus. Why am I staying here at Ephesus? I want to come to you. I plan to come to you. This is what I want to do. These are my plans. I'm telling you that now, but here's what, what's happening. I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost for or because a great and effective door has opened to me and there, there are many adversaries. Paul says, I will stay here because a door has been opened to me. Now, that's what we're going to look at this morning. So let's have a word of prayer and we'll, we'll launch into this. Father, I just pray that you'll bless this morning as we, as we look at the topic of when opportunity comes knocking. And Lord, there's much that we can learn from Paul. There's much we can take from Scripture. Lord, we've all faced situations and circumstances in life where, where it appears a door's been opened um, or a door, in fact, has been opened. And Lord, we, we want to we have an understanding of how do, we, how do we navigate that? How do we make these decisions? How do we discern what is or isn't your will? So God, I just pray that you'll, you'll speak to us this morning because everybody in here has or is or is going to face opportunities that are going to come knocking. And Lord, we want to be in your will. We want to do it your way. We want to do it according to your word. And Father, so give us wisdom this morning uh, through this message That'll help us when those opportunities come our way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, the first thing, if you want to understand kind of what went on in, in this, what was going on in Paul's life, you got to go to Acts 19 because that's where he is in Ephesus. And I'm just going to highlight, you can go back, write that down, Acts 19, go back later, and I encourage you to read through that chapter and see all that was going on in Ephesus, and, and, and you'll understand why Paul decided, I need to stay here. Verses 1 through 7, we see salvations and baptisms. That's what was going on. People were getting saved, and people were getting baptized. And, 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 and some people have actually tried to argue that what Paul was doing there, he was, he was rebaptizing. Well, let me just assure you, he was not rebaptizing. It wasn't that people had been baptized and he said, no, 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 I didn't do it, so, or you did it at this other church. Look, there is a prescribed way that baptism is to be done, and that's what Paul is doing here. And there were people who were being baptized because they had never been scripturally baptized. So they asked him, whose baptism were you, how were you baptized? And they said, we were baptized in, with, with, with John's baptism. Well, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, and it was, and it was pointing toward Christ in the future. Believer's baptism, believer's baptism is always after salvation, okay? So, so when, when people say, well, I was, I was christened as a child, that's not believer's baptism. Were you a believer then? You're not. If you were, if you were dunked at five years old and you got saved at 12 years old, was what you did at five years old believer's baptism? It was not because believers baptism is your response to what God has done in your life. It is it is baptism after salvation. 
I think we're pretty clear on that here, but I always want to rehearse that so you, you hear that again to understand that anything that happened, baptism, christening, any of that, before my salvation was just me getting wet. Because you cannot have a testimony, and that's what your, your baptism is, an outward expression like this wedding band. It's an outward expression of the inward commitment that you've made to Christ. Okay, So when you, are, when you are born again, then you get baptized to identify with Christ. And that's the mode that we see all through Scripture. It's the mode. It's what Jesus told us to do. It's what we see done all through that. So, so what happened here was Paul met these folks. They had never been b- baptized after salvation in the way that Jesus said. So it's after salvation. It's by immersion. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You can read that. It doesn't say it that way in the Scriptures there. But Jesus prescribed that way of baptizing. In fact, I think I've asked, I, tr- I make sure, I try to always ask this. When someone comes, if they say, I've been baptized, I try to make sure. I ask them, I said, well, were you baptized? How were you baptized? Because it's important whether you were immersed or not. That, that does matter. Now, your, your baptism, in, in, if you were sprinkled and it was after salvation, it may be absolutely valid, but that's not the way we do it. So if you weren't immersed, we would ask you to be baptized by immersion because we believe that's the mode that was in the Scriptures. If you say, well, I was baptized in the name of Jesus, then I would say that you need to be baptized because that was not the proper mode. Christ himself said to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Holy Ghost. So we know that that's the way Paul would have been baptizing. Now he's speaking here about, about their salvation. They were saved by grace through faith into the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how they were, and so that's why they were responding for baptism. So all that's free there. That's all free. So that's what they were doing with the first seven parts. What we're seeing is, is Paul's there and people are being saved, and now they're making decisions to follow the Lord and believers' baptism. Verses 8 and 9, you're going to see where Paul faced strong resistance in the synagogue. He left the synagogue, he took believers with him, and he went to the school of Tyrannus. And supposedly, as I've read and studied this, supposedly he rented an auditorium in that school then that he could preach in. He could, he could teach and preach in. And that he continued to preach and to teach in that, in that auditorium there for two years. So we know from the letter Paul's writing, I intend to, I'm going to stay here until, until this time. I'm going, to stay here, um, I'm going to stay here until Pentecost. But it doesn't appear that that's what happened. It appears that Paul said, you know, I'm, I'm going to stay here for now because this door has been opened. God is moving. Things are happening. And, and so he goes from the synagogue. He goes into this auditorium and he ends up staying on two more years as he's preaching and teaching. And it says, all in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, Jews and Greeks. So what we see is that we, we would call that just a, a powerful move of God. We, we, I don't know if you'd call it revival because they're not being revived. Well, I guess they are being revived from being lost. It's just a, it's a, an incredible outpouring of God in that, in that area. And it wasn't just in Ephesus because what was happening, people were getting saved and they were going out. That was a hub of the, the spoke, you know, the hub of the spokes that went out into that area of Asia Minor. And people were going all over that area and taking the gospel. And what we see is the gospel went throughout that entire area. The scripture says that. This is an incredible move of God. Now, what had happened would have happened if Paul had just up and left? What would have happened? We don't know. God could have used someone else, but God, we're going to see God had a calling for, for Paul to be there and to use him there. We get to verse 18. I'm going to skip through down to verse 18. And what we see is we see confession of sin. We see people who begin to confess their sin. And listen, here's what happens. When you get saved, when people start getting right with God, uh, when hearts are being changed, actions change. Amen? So when I come into faith with Christ, I, I, I'm willing to confess my sins. I'm willing to confess and make things right. You know, me and Brent, we had a falling out, but I, I get saved. I'm going to go back. I want to make that right with Brent. I'm going to confess to Brent that I was wrong. I'm going to ask his forgiveness. Relationships are restored. We begin to, the actions follow the decision to follow Christ. And if we're, if we're truly saved, then, then our actions are going to change. And I'd say this, I've asked this question a lot. When you, when you got saved, when you tell me that you got saved at that point, let me ask you this, did it change your life? Because if it didn't change your life, I would strongly lean on the side of if it didn't change your life, it's not going to change your eternity. 
Does that make sense? You're going to rest in something that didn't even change your life? And it, and because listen, if we meet the living God, it changes us. Amen? I mean, if you're sitting here right now and you go, you know, well, I made a profession of faith or I prayed a prayer, but man, my life really didn't change. Then I'm going to encourage you to really evaluate the decision you made and to really evaluate, are you truly in Christ? Because when we're in Christ, there's a change. And there was a change here. Verse 18, there was a change. You saw the change in people. Verse 19, those who have been practicing magic brought their books. And what did they do with them? Does anybody remember? They burned them. It's amazing. We, 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 would, uh, we would criticize people who have, have book burnings or something today. I, I'm not sure it's not a good idea. I'm not sure it's not a good idea to burn books today. There's so much vile filth and junk out there. Why, why would we embrace this having that junk in, in our homes? That's stuff we need to get out of our homes. And uh, we're not talking about doing Nazi stuff and burning everything that, that you can get your hands on that's not Nazi propaganda. We're talking about filth and smut and trash, stuff that's leading kids' minds wrong. Why, why not? We don't have to burn it, but how about you destroy it and get it out of your home? And that's what was happening because lives were being changed. Their hearts were being changed. They were turning away from sin. Those who practiced magic got rid of that magic book. In fact, the scripture said, I don't remember how much it was. It was, it was pounds, thousands of pounds of silver worth of books that were burned. This was a huge outpouring. And people said, we're tired of this filth. We're tired of the things that are wrong. There's a whole bunch of books in the schools today that are teaching stuff that ain't right. That'd be, it'd probably be a good thing for those books to be piled up and burned. You're welcome. <laughs> Verse 20 tells us the word of the Lord grew mightily. Grew mightily. Verses 23 through 41, Paul has trouble with Demetrius the silversmith. You've probably heard of Demetrius the silversmith. Paul preached the gospel. Many people got saved and they started living sanctified lives and they turned from the idolatry of Ephesus and they quit buying the little silver uh, trinkets and the silver idols and the silver shrines. These silversmiths were making idols that looked like the, the temple of Diana and, it, and, and they would build little shrines and they would be things they could open up and there may be even a, a, an idol of Diana in there that they could look at and pray to and talk to or whatever. It might be something they could put, put valuables in. Then they had the little idols they'd wear around their necks, the little medallions and stuff. Well, here's what happened. When people started getting their hearts right with God, they got away from the idolatry. And, and, and now they're not buying the little idols anymore. They're not buying the, 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 the little trinkets anymore. They're not buying the shrines anymore. And it's costing Demetrius and the other silversmiths. It's beginning to cost. Here's what happens. Um, it, it's interesting because they didn't care about Paul out preaching the gospel. They didn't care. But when it started affecting their pocketbook, now all of a sudden they care about Diana and the temple. Oh, they're, they're defying Diana and our temple and our great God and all this stuff. And, and they, didn't, they didn't give a rip until it started affecting their pocketbook. Folks, that's how, that's how it is today. That's how it is today. People don't care about that stuff. But, but, but follow, what is it people say? Follow the money. Follow the money because you can always tell what's important to people because they always they're going to care about the money. You, you, you watch the politics and the things that people, the things that are going on. Just follow the money. Follow the money, the corruption that goes on with that. When people get right with God, the sellers of iniquity lose. Let me say it again. When, the, when people get right with God, the sellers of iniquity lose. They lose. And they don't and they won't like it. So they caused a lot of problems for Paul in the church there. So that's what went on. Paul says, you know, I'm going to stay here in Ephesus till Pentecost because this door has been opened to me. And what we find out is, he, is once, he, once he got in there, he was in there another two years once he got in the auditorium. So Paul stayed because the Lord had led him there and kept him there and used him there. And so that's what we're going to look at. And there's three things that Paul saw in this, in this door that was opened for him. Number one, Paul saw the opportunity. Paul had plans, he had dreams, ambitions. Verse 5, now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia. And it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. 
For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. He was planning to go through Macedonia. He wanted to spend time in Corinth. He, he not just passed through there. He wanted to go to Rome. We know Paul wanted to go to Spain. He, he, he was planning on at some point going to Jerusalem to take a love offering to the church there. That's where back in chapter, uh, the f- first part of, of this chapter, where he's talking about taking that offering so that they can help the church in Jerusalem that was going through famine and they were out of job. They didn't have any money. They were very poor and they wanted to show love to them and take that offering to them. So Paul has, he has all these plans of things Paul wants to do. But God had another plan. God had another plan. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost for a great and effective door has opened to me. Now, how did Paul know? How did he know? How how did he decide what to do and and, and what not to do? Well, first thing was this. It wasn't about Paul's wants. It was about God's will. And that these are things that we need to pay attention to. It's not about God, Paul's wants. It wasn't about what he wanted. It was about what God wanted, about God's will. Paul certainly had the ambitions and desires and goals in ministry, but he was, he was absolutely submitted to the Lord's will, not his own will. Now, Paul had plans. There's nothing wrong with making plans. There's nothing wrong with, with saying, this is what I want to go do. This is what I feel the Lord is leading me to do. This is what I feel the Lord's calling me to do. But when the Lord tells you, when he shows you and he opens a door, and that's what Paul saw. He was able to see this. He saw the opportunity. We, we, we can only do that. Look, you can only discern, is this, is this God's leading or is this, uh, is this a worldly opportunity that's being presented to me? What should I do? I'm going to tell you what helps. When we're walking in the Spirit of God, it's, it's easier to discern the will of God. Amen? Look, if you're not walking in the, in the Spirit of God, you're not walking with Him. Galatians 5.25 says, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. And as we walk in the Spirit, we can discern what's, what's going on. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God... What does he say? That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed, be changed, transformed. It's it's that change that comes from the inside out, totally being transformed, being changed. We, We totally look different. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we renew our minds? Through the word of God. Renew our minds that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You want to know the will of God? You you say, I want to know the will of God in my life? Read his word. I want to know what God wants me to do next? Read his word. I want to know what God would have me, you know, as a believer do? Read his word. What should I do when it comes to baptism? Read his word. What should I do about ministry? What should I do? Read his word. Read His Word, read His Word, read His Word. When we commit ourselves, we submit ourselves, when we make ourselves a living sacrifice. Now, what does that mean, living sacrifice? Well, if you put a lamb on the altar, did that lamb ever walk away? It didn't. That lamb was totally sacrificed and given to to the Lord. It was given. It was dead. It was dead. Now, to be a living sacrifice means that I'm dead to myself and that I live for Him. And that's what what the Lord calls us to do, is to be a living sacrifice, to live a holy life that is acceptable to God. And he says it's your reasonable service. You know, it's really the absolute least you can do is that Christ died for us. The least we can do is live for him. Amen? Amen? It's the least we can do. Paul was looking for what God wanted, and he was looking around with the eyes of Christ. John 4, 35 says, Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. What does the Lord want us to see? He wants us to see what He's opening up doors for. He wants to see ministry opportunities. He wants us to see where where there are people who are hungry for the gospel, people who need the gospel. That's what He wants us to see. He wants us to have eyes, the eyes of Christ, the heart of Christ. And the only way to do that is get into His Word. Paul, number two, Paul responded to, he responded to an open door, or AKA, an open door is an opportunity. So opportunities are to be seized, not slept through. Now, when there's an opportunity there that God makes, I mean, I'm going to put that disclaimer on it. If God presents the opportunity, it's a, if it's of the Lord, it is a, it's, a, it's a, a, an opportunity that we are to seize as believers. We're not to sleep through those. We're not to linger on those. How many of you have ever heard of Zig Ziglar? Oh, a lot of you have heard of Zig Ziglar. If you, if you, in sales, do you read Ziglar in sales? It very, he was a, he was a, he used to teach at First Baptist Daytona. 
had a Sunday school class there for years. Zig Ziglar was a sales guru, and he wrote all these books. Um, they were sales books, okay? They're not Christian books. But here's something Zig Ziglar said. that it, it, The truth is, all truth is God's truth, okay? So he said this, and I believe there's truth in this. Zig Ziglar said, success happens when preparedness and opportunity meet. Success happens when preparedness and opportunity meet. Now, I had all kinds of things written in here. I, I cut them out. But let's say that you were prepared to invest, okay? And you wanted to buy, I don't know, I was looking at some, some stocks. Uh, uh, let's go back with Apple. I don't know. Let's go. If you were ready to buy stock and you bought Apple stock 20 years ago, and say you, you were able to buy 1,000 shares of Apple stock, you'd be filthy rich today from those 1,000 shares of Apple stock. All right. My, my dad tells the story, I don't know if it's true or not, but my dad told me the story that, that it, was, it would have probably been his grandfather. Coca-Cola went public in 1919, and there was, a, there was an opportunity to invest in Coca-Cola. And when the IPO, when they initially sold stock, I couldn't believe this. Brent, any idea how much the stock, stock sold for when it first came out in 1919? Come on, man. What's that? Nope. Not even close, $40 a share in 1919. So if you bought three shares, you had $120. That's a lot of money in 1919. I, I was shocked when I read this. But if you, bought, if you had $120 you invested in Coca-Cola and bought three shares of their stock then, if you had not touched it till now, with all the splits, you'd have something in the neighborhood of 26,000 shares of Coke. It'd be worth about $1.5 million. Okay, so here's the, the opportunity is the opportunity was there to buy the, the, the stock. The preparedness is, were you prepared to buy it? Did you have the money? Were you ready to invest? Were you ready to jump on that? Okay, so success, success is the accomplishment of an aim or purpose. Now, here's a, here, this is, I wrote this. I've read it in different ways, so I don't know who said this or how they said it. Maybe not even said it this way. But success, success in something that does not matter is the ultimate failure. Okay, so we're talking about, I'm talking about money. All right, so if you, you invest money. Look, if you're very, very successful with money, that's great. It may make life a little easier. It's good. You can do a lot of good things with it. But to succeed in something that does not matter is really a failure. Success for us as believers is, Lord, what do you want us to do? Are, are we going to be successful in what he calls us to do? So success is the accomplishment of an aim or purpose Preparedness is the state of readiness. For us as believers, we're committed to watch and pray several times in Scripture. Amen? Scriptures tell us, watch and pray. And to watch is to be ready. It's to be looking for the Lord. It's to be watching the Lord. To pray is to be in tune with the Lord. If I'm looking for what He's doing in my life, if I'm watching for that, I've told you when we go out of here, we, we should be like missionaries when we leave here. We should be like missionaries. We should go out of here and be looking for the opportunities that God has for us. Maybe we go down to the gas station and somebody else pulls in there, man, and they're filling up and they, and they say something. or you say, And you've got an opportunity maybe for a conversation. Miss Linda Hancock, I love the way you capitalize on that because she's constantly and she'll testify on Wednesday nights about somebody came to do some work at her house and she witnessed to them. We all have that opportunity, but are we prepared to do it? That's the key. See, success happens when preparedness and opportunity meet. So are we prepared? Opportunity. So the opportunity is a set of circumstances that make it possible to do something. So as a believer, are we prepared? Are we ready to do what God would have us to do? Are we looking for that? Because when, when we're prepared to do it and the opportunity presents itself, then there can be success and there can be kingdom success. Thomas Edison said, said this about opportunity. He said, opportunity is missed by most people because it is dressed in overhauls and looks like work. <laughs> now, that's, a, that's kind of in a worldly sense when he's talking about success. But folks, I'll put it in the spiritual sense. It's the same way. We miss out on opportunities all the time to be a witness for the Lord because we're not prepared. We're not looking for it. Maybe, maybe I've got to reach outside my comfort zone. Ah, man, I, I can't talk to somebody. Man, I'm... We can talk to anybody, man. If, if listen, you want to, you want to witness to people. You want to witness to a lot of lost people. Get you a Georgia Bulldog hat and wear that because hey, go dogs! And man, we every time we're over at the over at the coast and somebody go dogs, that's an opportunity to witness, and they need it. 
I'm a dog. I'm just telling you, they need it. They need it bad. We got to look for those opportunities. What was Paul's opportunity? Was it to climb the ministry ladder? Was it to make more money? Was it to acquire more power? No, no. It was to preach the gospel and further the kingdom. Paul's focus was on, on kingdom building. When I talk about kingdom building, I'm talking about kingdom with a big K. Okay, God's kingdom, big K, not little K kingdom, not my kingdom building. So it's God's kingdom with a big K, not Conrad's kingdom with a little K. We ought to be about building his kingdom, not building my own kingdom. Number three, Paul recognized that he, he didn't open. He didn't open this door. Verse nine, for a great and effective door has opened. Paul understood he didn't open the door. He had a very keen understanding that, look, I'm going to go and I'm going I'm to preach the gospel. I'm going to be faithful. But he understood he couldn't open the door. He couldn't close the door. That was God's work. Verse, uh, uh, Revelation 3, 7 says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says, He who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David. Listen, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He opens doors for us. He can shut doors for us. But Paul understood this, that he didn't open the door. God had opened this door. He understood where the opportunity was coming from, where this open door was coming from, and was coming from Jesus Christ. Paul mentioned this in other places. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, he says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord. Colossians 4, 3, Meanwhile, praying also for you that God would open to us a door. He's praying that God would open the door because he understood, I can go beat on that door all I want to. It won't do any good. When God opens the door, if God opens the door, that's when I'm going to walk through the door. So he understood who opens and closed doors. Number two, Paul understood the obligation. He understood the obligation. For a great and effective door has opened to me. To me. This wasn't a proud statement. I don't believe this was an arrogant statement. Uh, It wasn't Paul going, "Ah, this is open to me. Yeah, me. This is to me, you know, some puffed up attitude about how great Paul was. You know, it ain't open to you, Brent. This is open to me because I'm the man. It wasn't wasn't that. This is is a factual statement that Paul's talking about. He says, the door has been opened to me to do this ministry right now. He understood the opportunity was open to him, not Timothy, not Apollos, but to Paul. Paul had different plans for Timothy and Apollos and Barnabas and all these guys. He had a plan for them. He had a will for them. He had doors he opened for them. Paul understood this door right here is opened for me. Folks, there are doors that are, that are, that are open to me that will not be open to you. That's a fact. There are doors that will be open to you that will not be open to me. That's a fact. Everyone's journey is different and unique. God will open to us opportunities to further His kingdom. We just need to be looking so that we can recognize the opportunity, see it as an opportunity when it is opened up to us. Amen? And when God opens an opportunity to us, we ought to walk through it. Now, I use the word ought. I've shared this before, but when we use the word ought, that means there's a moral obligation. You ought to do this. There is a moral obligation to this. When God opens up a door of opportunity to us, we ought to take advantage of it. We ought to walk through that door. We ought to do what it is God has opened the opportunity for us to do. Amen? Number three, Paul faced the adversaries. Paul faced the adversaries. There were already, as he writes this, there were already adversaries. And he knew that there would be more adversaries. If I'm doing God's work, there are going to be adversaries. It's part of it. When or if you're doing the Lord's will, when you're doing His work, there will be adversaries. What you're doing will be fought against. A Christian life without adversity is a life lived on the spiritual sidelines. You say, well, the Lord's, you know, Lord, the Lord's just good to me because I don't ever have any adversity in my life. I don't ever have any persecution. I don't have any... The, the problem's not... It's not that the Lord's necessarily protecting you right there. The problem may be that you're on the sidelines. You ain't doing nothing. So, so Satan doesn't have to attack you because you're checked out of the game. There, there's nothing coming that way. So there's no place... You know, that being on the spiritual sidelines, that's no place for a true believer. And, and, and you know, the, the, if, you, if you don't want to get hit, see, if you don't want to get hit, you, you stay on the bench. The only problem with that is God doesn't really give us that option. 
As believers, he, he doesn't have, well, you know, you're a starter. Uh, the rest of you, all just sit on the bench and you just watch. No, no. Each one of us as a born-again child of God are called to serve him faithfully in whatever, wherever he leads us. Amen? So we don't, have, we don't have the option of being on the sidelines. That's not what God has called us to do. Uh, Luke 24, 46 through 48. Well, 47, I'm going to read this. He says, and that repentance... Repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Folks, we are, that, that wasn't just written to the disciples of that day. That's written to the disciples of our day. We are to be witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 28, 19, go therefore and make disciples. Doesn't seem optional to me. That's a command that God gives us. Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. If you're born again, folks, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of, uh, end of the earth. We don't have an option still on the sidelines. Paul wanted... Paul even felt led to go to Macedonia and to Corinth and to Rome and to Spain. But right now he knew that God wanted him in Ephesus. That's where the Lord wanted him and that's where he used him. Paul wasn't about to miss the opportunity. There was no way he was going to walk through. There was no way he was not going to walk through the door that God had opened up to him. He saw the open door and he wasn't going to miss it. He said, the Lord has opened this to me. I'm going to walk through this door. I read a story this week in preparation I was talking about pre-World War II when Hitler, early in Hitler's power and his days, and there was a lot of connection between him and, and, the, and the Lutheran church and the churches in, in Germany. There was, a, there was a, a, they seemed to embrace him. They did embrace him. A lot of them did embrace him. There was one guy in particular named Martin uh, Niemöller. He was a theologian and a, a Lutheran pastor there in Germany. And he had the opportunity, he had the voice, he had, he had a, an ear, uh, Hitler's ear, and he had an opportunity to talk with Hitler. And, and what I read said he argued with Hitler for 30 minutes about socialism, arguing against socialism. He never once said a word about Jesus Christ. Now, if you want to argue with Hitler about something, how about try to win his heart to Christ? Because then everything else can change. It's a missed opportunity, and we don't want to miss those opportunities. So... We get, get down here to the, the last part of this. So how do I make the right decision when the door is open to me? How, you know, one of the questions would, would also be not just if the door is open, is did the Lord open that door? you got to discern, did the Lord open that door or is it a door from somewhere else? So there's questions you have to ask in that. So there's 12 things to consider in making decisions. I, this is probably not, not exhaustive, but these are things that I know have helped me. And so I want to move through these quickly and just give you, and then you've got the notes, so you, you'll, you'll, you can take this with you. When you're faced with an opportunity, you can look back at this. Number one, all decisions, all decisions in a believer's life are spiritual decisions. Let me say that again. All decisions in a believer's life are spiritual decisions. If they're not, then you're not walking with the Lord. Does it make sense? All decisions. Every Well, no, 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 no. That's my business over here. This is God's over here, and this is my... No, no, no. Everything, if you're a child of God, everything's His. Everything that you own is His. Everything you have is His. Everything He gives you is His that He's given to you. It was His. He's allowed you to have it. And so every decision we make, from parenting to jobs to, to, to everything, what we do, where we go, all that, should be, those are his decisions. They're spiritual decisions. Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. All decisions must be made in the light of God's will for our lives. Every decision. Number two, does this opportunity in any way contradict scripture? I've had people tell me that this is what God's called me to. And it absolutely contradicts the Word of God. And my answer then is very simply, no, God did not call you to that because God does not contradict Himself. He does not contradict His Word. He does not contradict His will. He does not say, hey, I said for everybody else this, but it's okay for you. That's not, that's not how that works. 
God never leads, leads us to do anything contrary to His Word. Never. Any opportunity from God will be in accordance with His Word and His will. So what we have to do is search the Scriptures. When you, 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 You've got a decision to make. best place you can be is in the Word of God. Searching the scriptures. And you say, well, I, you know, I've got this decision to make about this job. Should I take it or not take it? And this and that and the other. And so I can't find in the concordance where it says that. <laughs> Duh. Just get in there and read. Because God speaks to us through His Word. And, and I've seen it again and again and again. I bet there's testimonies all over this auditorium of folks who've been in a situation and they turned to the Word of God and was reading the Word of God and they came across something and they said, wow, there's the answer. God made it clear. Number three, three, pray for wisdom and discernment. You got a decision to make? Man, anybody, anybody lack wisdom in here? You know, I do. Pray for wisdom and discernment. If you lack wisdom, pray for wisdom, and the Lord will give us wisdom. Pray for wisdom. Pray for discernment in a situation. Ask God to lead and guide and direct in those situations. Pray. So we need to bathe in in prayer. We need to compare it to the Word of God. We need to make sure the decisions we're making are spiritual decisions. Number four, is this God's will or mine? Great question to ask. And I think, you know, I can't put it on you guys, but I'm going to tell you this. There are a lot of people in ministry who make ministry decisions, but the decision they make and the choices they make are their decision. It's not God's. They've left the Lord out of it. They have. There are pastors who leave churches, and it wasn't God's will. It was their will. Oh, it must be God's will because that church is twice the size of this church, and they'll pay me more money, and I get more vacation. I get this and that and the other. And so they see that as God's will, or they excuse it as a way, and they say, you know, God told me to do this. That, that's ministry, and people do that in ministry. Folks, I encourage you not to do that in your own walk. When, when you've got a choice to make, when you've got a situation, is, is this opportunity that's before you, is it God's will or is it your will? Has He opened the door or have I manipulated the situation? Have I worked it to try to get myself into a position for this? Am I following His leadership or blazing my own trail? That's a question to ask. Number five, does this fit my gifting? My gifting, so talents and abilities, even experiences, your passion, your heart, all those kind of things. So y'all have heard me sing, right? Y'all, y'all, last week I, I led the worship. I've led worship a couple times. Hey, this is what I'm feeling. I'm going to Nashville, folks. <laughs> going to Nashville. I mean, I've been up here. Y'all have laughed, and I, I think y'all are laughing with me and responding. Uh, I, y'all weren't laughing at me as I was singing. So, I mean, I'm going to Nashville. I'm going to make a career in country music. Because I, I just think, y- y'all, would laugh, y'all would laugh at me. You know, I say, preacher, we need to get you this doctor to, to evaluate you because you've absolutely lost your mind. Um, that would be silly for me to say I'm going to Nashville, um, pursue something that it doesn't fit in my, in my gifting. You go, that's not, that's not. Now, now, God can do anything he wants to do. Amen? Now, like pastors, there are, there are four primary personality types. There's there's There's... Active personality is people-oriented. There's active personality that's task-oriented. There's passive personalities that are uh, task-oriented. And there's passive personalities that are people-oriented, okay? And, and you would think, well, man, probably the, the real active personality, it's all about the people. It would be the best pastors. You know what the best pastors are? All four of them. It's however God has made you. If God calls you to it, folks, he's going to equip you to it. Okay, so but but it does it does make sense to look. Does this fit in the way God has made me? Because what I have seen is that God tends to most often work within people, work with people in accordance with how he has gifted people and designed people. Okay, number six, does it does it match faith and family priorities? Well, this job is going to take me away for for three months out of every six. I'm going to be gone for three months out of every six you got to evaluate that. Is, that. is that what's best for your family? Is that what's best for the priorities that you've set as a family and for your faith? Would this take me away from regular worship with the body of Christ? Well, this job's going to pay a dollar more an hour, but I'll have to work on Sunday. Is that, is that really the better? Is that really what God would have you to do? Is that going to help you? Does that fit in with your faith and family priorities? 
Um, would it put you in a potential compromising situation? You know, I've got this opportunity, preacher, and I can go in and take this sales job with this big company. And some of the guys I've talked to in here that's been in sales, they, 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 they'll tell you that, that big companies, will, they'll want you to compromise because they'll want you to take people places you wouldn't go. And they'll want you to, to partake in things to try to make a sale that you wouldn't normally partake in. And so you want to, with, with this job, if I, if I had this opportunity, if I responded, is it going to be something that would tempt me to compromise my faith? Those are questions you have to ask. Number seven, will this grow me and others spiritually? If it's something God's leading you to, you know what? It's going to grow you spiritually. You can see the path of growth, and you can see the path of growth for others. Number eight, are your closest friends, family, confidants on board with this? Now, when I say that closest, uh, I'm talking about spiritually mature people here. You don't have somebody that you're really, really close to, but they're not saved. They're not, they're not walking with the Lord. That's not who you really want to talk to in, in that situation. Now, I'll tell you a situation we had. I have a good friend of mine who was pastoring in Orange City, a little church in Orange City. And next thing I know, he tells me and he calls me up and says, hey, I'm going to Indiana. And he's changing denomination. He's going to southern Indiana, and he's taking this job. He's not talked to me or his other best friend. Two, two guys that we, we talked to him a lot. We were confidants in his life. We were mentors in his life. We encouraged each other. He never talked to us. And as he begins to tell us about the job, I'm like, man, why, why haven't you at least let me know what you're doing so I can pray for you? He says, well, it just happened so fast. This, that, and the. I, said, I said, well, are you sure this is what you should do? I said, what you're telling me, this doesn't fit you. I don't, I don't, I don't see this. This just does not, it doesn't make sense from my perspective. Now, I'm not the Holy Spirit, so I can't say. But he never included us in that. So he moves to Indiana, moves his family to Indiana. About seven months, six months later, he calls me, and he's ready to leave. And he wasn't even there 10 months, and he's back in central Florida because he made a bad decision. Folks, get people involved when you've got decisions to make. Don't just run it by them. Pray for me about this. Brent, I need you to pray for me about this situation that's come up. I've heard Brent in here, in our, in our prayer band meetings, our men's meetings, he's, he's requested prayer for, for situations he was facing and asked, men, I need wisdom. I need you to pray for me. And so we pray for So we want to do those kind of things. You need to have people that, that are spiritually mature giving you counsel and advice in that. Number nine, would this move you closer to your God-given dreams or calling? Man, if God's leading you away and he's put something in your heart, is this going to take you closer to it or, 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 or pull you further away from it? Number nine, uh, 10, do you feel unsettled or restless in your current situation? Is there a righteous dissatisfaction in your spirit? Paul had that. Paul, Paul had that. Paul, Paul said, you know, I haven't arrived. I've done all these things. And we talk about Paul being, being, being the most maybe the greatest Christian ever lived. And he does all this mission work. And Paul says, I have not arrived. I have not attained yet. I, I'm not mature. I press on. He had a righteous dissatisfaction that he wasn't settled. He wasn't just, man, I'm, I'm there. I'm just going to kick back now with my feet up, take it easy. Ministry's good here. Everything's just wonderful. I'm going to take it easy. No, no, no. He had a, that righteous dissatisfaction that God gave him to press on and to, and to continue to do for the Lord. So you have that. Is God working in your life? Often God will use that, that dissatisfaction to show you or prepare you for a, an upcoming move. Number 11, are you walking with God? Well, duh, that, would ought to be, that ought to be number one. But we'll go back to what I said earlier in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Are you walking with God? Are you submitted to Him? Are you living your life as a living sacrifice, that your life is for Him? You're living your life for Him. Folks, the least we can do is live our life for Him. And if we do that, you know what? We can clearly hear from Him. If we're not doing that, it's hard to hear from the Lord when we're not walking with the Lord. We're not in right fellowship with Him. Number 12, does your spirit, what does your spirit say? Or, or better said, is to be guided by the Spirit of God. Look, the Holy Spirit indwells us as a believer. The Holy Spirit of God is in me. Now, if I'm about to make a decision, if I'm walking with God and listening to God, if I'm about to make a decision that is the wrong decision, do you think the Lord would work and impress on my heart that that's the wrong decision? Yes or no? Yes. Absolutely. Do you think he would confirm a decision if it's the right decision? Yes. So, but that's, that's trusting that we're walking with him, that we're listening 
to him, that we're in right fellowship with him. If we've gotten away from him, we may not be able to clearly hear from him. Um, I had a, I, before I left Indiana and came down here to do FCA, I had two opportunities to pastor. And, and both churches were ready to call me. And, and it wasn't until the situation was, I mean, they were, one church called me. They were in Johnson City, Tennessee, beautiful area. Church was running about 100, 110. Church is paid for. They got money in the bank. It's a great situation. Beautiful facilities. Just, just, just wonderful. And we, we'd gone and candidated, and then they call us. We were actually down here, weren't we? We, were, we had just left church, walked out of church over in Volusia County, and uh, we were down here on vacation. And they called me and said, Pastor, we are, we are going to present you to the church next Sunday. We're going to present you to the church as for vote that you're our, you're our candidate. You're, you're the one we want as our, as our pastor. And I had a rock the size of Gibraltar in my stomach. And we had prayed and we had prayed. We had walked through all of this. And, and I was like, I, Gina, I don't know. I don't, she didn't have a real feel. I didn't have a real feel. But the instant it was there, it was no longer maybe this is a possibility. It, I, and I couldn't discern it. As soon as it was on the table and real, I knew. I knew. I was sick. I mean, sick. I went, this, is, this isn't, the, the Lord wouldn't let me feel this. It wasn't just, it wasn't just fear. It was in, a prompting in my spirit, this is not this is, not, this is not right. This is not what God wants me to do. And so we, we withdrew from that. And the Lord was in it because the guys on the search committee, he still interact. We still, every now and then he'll call me. We still talk. He didn't get mad. He, he understood. If that's the Lord's will, then we don't want you here. We don't want you here. If God's will is not for you to be here, we don't want you here. And you don't want to be here. Absolutely, right? So it's finding the Lord's will in that. So here's the deal. I hope that's helpful. But there's some, there's some opportunities before us this morning. And the first is this. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, there's an opportunity. Pastor Aaron's already mentioned it. Your face against the, the, the door. You, you say you want to be cleaned up. You want to be forgiven. But you can't clean yourself up. You can't get forgiveness in your own. It's only through that repentance, turning from your sin, turning to Christ, and by faith, placing your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? That, it's there. That opportunity is there. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you've never come to Him by faith, today that opportunity is there. And we would, we, would, we would plead with you. I, I plead with you as the Scripture says, as though God Himself is pleading with you, come to the Lord. You don't know when your last breath will be. I'm so sick of reading about all these people who died suddenly. It's just been rampant. But folks, we don't know. We don't know. You do not know which breath is your last breath. Only God knows. And you're not promised tomorrow. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, I plead with you to, to, to come forward. I'll be down here. Come forward. Let me take the scriptures and just introduce you to Jesus this morning. The upper, other opportunity this morning may be this. Maybe I need to really dedicate or rededicate my life to Christ. And I'll say it this way. You know, a lot of times we, we say, I've given everything to the Lord. No, we've given everything to the Lord. It's on our mind at that moment. It's inevitable we find out there's another room back here in my heart. I've got this little closet back here that I've been hiding stuff in. Or maybe there's this other area over here in my life. This, these, you know, I've got this little habit or, or, or whatever that I kind of like hanging on to that. Maybe there's something else that I need to give to him this morning. Maybe something else I need to, to dedicate to him. Maybe, maybe it's just me going, Lord, I, I love you, but I, I, I know I'm not as close to you as I could be. And just giving myself to him this morning, there's that opportunity. And there's ministry opportunities. You know, when the opportunity is there, success happens when preparedness and opportunity meet. We have a slew of opportunities right here in this church. We need help for VBS. We need help in every area of children's ministry. Y'all get sick of hearing me say that. I promise you it's not as much as, as I get sick of saying it. We need help in every area. We need your help. There's opportunities there. There are little kids that need, need the, to hear and to be the Word of God sown into their life. 
There's an opportunity there. And if you're prepared, man, it can be a beautiful thing. And you go, I'm scared. Okay, great. I understand that. I've been scared a whole lot in ministry. But if the door of opportunity is open, step through it and let God lead you and guide you in that way. Maybe it's children's ministry. Maybe it's the crisis pregnancy center. I'm sure they'd love to have some, some committed, faithful people that go down there and work with that group, learn how to counsel these mothers that are coming in and contemplating having an abortion, and you could counsel them. Maybe it's FCA, our field ministry guy that we just took on for support here. He could use help. He needs. If you say, I could, I could give 10 hours a week to that, he's looking to hire people, pay 10 hours a week. To, to, to go and work in schools and pour the gospel into, into kids. Maybe God's calling you to the mission field. Pa- Pastor Aaron, you can come forward. There are tons of opportunities. The fields are white under harvest. We, we, we talk a lot more on Wednesday night than we do on Sunday mornings about this. But folks, I, I don't know how long the Lord's going to tarry. I, his return is imminent. It's imminent. You understand what that means? It means at any moment he could come back. There's nothing prohibiting the Lord's return. Any moment he could come back. Why do we live as though he's never coming back? We ought to be living every moment as though, man, this this might be the last Sunday I get to teach those kids. This might be the last Sunday I get to be in church. This might be the last time we get to go and worship on the Lord's Day. This might be the last time I get an opportunity to talk to my mother, my father, my brother, my sister, my neighbor. I may never see this person in the checkout line at Walmart. I may never see them again. But I have an opportunity right now that God has opened up this door of opportunity to share the gospel with them. If the opportunity is there, walk through it. If God's opened the door, walk through it. He'll bless. He'll move. So I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to invite you to sing this morning. But I invite you not to check out of what God's doing and speaking to your heart right now. Because, oh, well, Pastor transitioned it. We're going to go to singing now. No, this is a time for you to respond to what you've heard this morning. And what the Word of God, God and the Holy Spirit's doing through the Word that you've heard. What's He doing in your heart? What's He doing in your life? This is the time to respond to that. This altar is open. Maybe you need to pray for yourself. Maybe you need to pray for somebody else. Maybe you need to pray somebody will get saved. You need to pray for somebody that's going through a struggle. Maybe you need to come and rededicate your life to Him. Maybe you need to come and, and, and be born again this morning. But whatever it is, don't transition to singing a song if you haven't dealt with what God's dealing with you on. Father, bless and move right now in this time of invitation. Lord, may we not linger. The door of opportunity is open. May we not fail to walk through that door. Whatever it is you're leading, however it is you're calling this morning, may we not miss the opportunity. Have your will and way now in Jesus' name.